0: Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary friends. Welcome to Multicultural TV Talk, a Media Village podcast, where we bring you exclusive interviews with talent and creatives from across entertainment, discovering their stories and how they are changing the face of stardom across media. As always, I am your host, Juan Ayala. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, let's get to talking. In honor of Black History Month, we are joined by a wonderful panel of actors for a special roundtable discussion from the Orville and the CW Superman and Lois, Chad L. Coleman. From FX's Snowfall, Angela Lewis. From the upcoming Glamorous and Prime Videos, Daisy Jones and the Six, Aisha Harris. From Cruel Summer, Rap Shit and Star Trek Picard, Ashley Sharp Chestnut. Chad, Mm -hmm. Angela, Aisha, Ashley, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Before we dive into each of your uh, respective bodies of work, um, I want to go down memory lane a bit. Anyone can chime in uh, for this question. So looking back, what is a performance that you saw that made you feel seen and represented for the first time?
1: (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. didn't go wait. It was uh it was uh Celia and should uh when she brought her back from the from the juke joint as a kid. I remember watching that and um really identifying with it and not knowing why uh and realizing that was a special moment. Yeah, that was like that was it for me. First one.
2: <laughs> when I was little, my parents took I'm from Detroit and my parents took me to see um I guess this was the Broadway tour of Dreamgirls, and I was just like,
0: whoa, (laughs) and
2: (laughs) that was definitely one of the shows that um, put
3: me on my path. I'm going to say, for me, it was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a mixture of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and The Cosby Show, Um, seeing people like me, and then also, like, people in my family, I guess that's, like, the Family
4: dynamic, yeah. Nice. I think uh, being the OG in the group, <laughs> I, I believe that it was what's happening back back then with that group of young African American males, very natural, you know, that playful, fun energy. I think I, I think I identified like that, but strangely enough, I I, I didn't know to have that lens back mm-hmm. then. I wasn't watching TV per se to see black people. You know, like if I don't, again, I'm trying to see myself. <laughs> hey, where am I in there? I, that wasn't happening. I was just dealing with entertainment and the magic nature of television, period. I didn't have a, you know, political perspective lens to really look through. Um, but I'm trying to consciously think of it now. And I just remember those young dudes like, yeah, that's me. That's, that's me, mm-hmm. I, you know? that's
1: That's
0: it. Chad, it's interesting you say that because uh, in the many conversations we've had, a lot of times folks will say that they um, either didn't see anyone that sort of represented exactly who they are, or um, oftentimes, as a kid, they didn't necessarily narrow it down to the race of a character, or the ethnicity of an actor, they just saw a kid. Whether, regardless mm-hmm. of the color of, of that kid's skin, they were just like, Yeah, they're me because they like to play cops and robbers with their cousins yeah, after you, school. You that. That's me. So, mm-hmm. um, and a lot, also, Fair similarly, enough. some of the, as you said, some of the OGs, um, they'll say <laughs> that they didn't realize that they didn't have representation until they were much older. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, they look back I have
4: said that, but I was yeah. also heavily influenced in the theater and I grew up in an all black you know neighborhood community you know so you know i I didn't have to like the consciousness was i am who i am Mm -hmm. you know and the community was there was plenty of representations of a lot of things from from the minister to the teachers to the Mm -hmm. cops to the firemen to the bus driver to you know to the mayor and yeah. all of that was going on, so you know yeah. I, it just wasn't um, the, the, the big thing was like racism is ignorant don't love love all people mm-hmm. and, uh, and and we were all, we were already taught like almost ethnic pride was a given, you know being black was it, the pride of being black. I almost feel like I never had to question that. It was never a thought that it, and it was never a thought of equality either. Mm. You know, it was always through yeah. the lens of like, don't judge him, but that's ignorant. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> spitting that ignorance to you, pray for him or, you know what I mean? Yeah. But don't give it value like that because that's ignorant. You know, you be about humanity and you love all people, you know? I wasn't going. My white teacher, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> She's my teacher, and uh, and the way she presented herself, or they, many of them presented themselves, is that we're all human beings, and you know, I'm here for the purpose of connecting with you and things of that nature. That's that's how it was. I had to leave my community before I began to see other things.
2: I have a similar a similar uh, history as Chad, where You know, I think in hindsight, I recognize um, that my parents intentionally took me to see shows that had black characters and black leads. And they had books in our house that had black characters as the leads. And I, you know, I didn't find out till later that I could not have white dolls in my house. It was all black dolls. I saw brown faces everywhere. And, you know, I went to school with you know I'm from Detroit so it was mostly black kids in the class and mostly black teachers we had some white teachers and some Asian teachers and you know we did notice the difference but it wasn't a thing and it wasn't until I left home when I went to the University of Michigan that I was like "Uh." but (laughs) in my you know we were kind of um, they tried to prepare us you know we did a lot of work and study around the civil rights movement so we knew that racism racism existed and and um, there were lots of biases, but it wasn't until I left home that I experienced it. And then after I got a little older that I, you know, again, that I learned that my parents intentionally, you know, did this thing. So I, I could see, and it wouldn't be a thing. So I wouldn't be thinking, oh, there I am. So I would just feel it. Oh, I can do this thing. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I am beautiful. Oh, I am celebrated. You know what I mean? Like they they, they um, laid that into the framework of things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a very, very uh, black household. <laughs> to keep it real simple, um, so yeah, I was very incubated uh, with history and like knowledge of self. Um, it was more so when I would go out into the world, into school, and see and see some of the um, see some of the things that made me feel a little uncomfortable at the time as far as like a uh, lack of representation in schools I was going to, um, and but then it really, my journey was more so like, where are the gay black people at? Like, that, that was, that was mine. Like my very first crush was Felicia Rashad. <laughs> <laughs> right now.
4: She's walking and you know, all, you don't want
1: to be telling Phil uh, what to do. I was like, oh, let me call her song. So <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it, was more, it was more about finding that and realizing that I was different from my sister and and, and everybody, seemingly. So it was about really finding finding that and and, and still f- being so um, entrenched in the Black American experience and then realizing that so many of our heroes were, were gay and queer women and men, and so that was like my journey kind of finding that and like my position and like where we've always been. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, you know, you grow up and you, and you get a few knuckleheads, um, but yeah, my experience was, was, was somewhat incubated as well. Um, so yeah, it was more about, you know, finding my queer brothers and sisters at arms and, um, and, that's, and that's what happened and, and very funny, uh, Angela,
2: I know your sister, Lou, and I Jamal. I know you did, I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've
1: been a barber for many years. I was like, hello,
4: one degree of separation friend. So, right. yeah. <laughs> <Small> world. <laughs> I just want to world. I just want to chime in right quick. And so the first, my sister was gay, and that was the first introduction experience, you know, as as far as a lesbian, right? And mm-hmm. then, And then probably shortly thereafter, I, uh, being a homosexual, I was introduced to that, you know, within the theater type a deal. So my sister, it was like this. My sister was like, "Sit down, I gotta talk to you about something." I, you know, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think like we all knew, and it wasn't right. a thing, you know, it wasn't the thing. I yeah. knew, I did not know. We weren't having a pointed discussion about it prior to that, but I knew so yeah. it was like this it was like this uh yeah i know okay okay you got it that's cool um, can we get some brew <laughs> <And> that was- <laughs> seriously that's yeah. how I, I really okay. wish
1: that um that it could be like that always i do find that there yeah. are some gaps in yeah oh, um,
2: and
1: yeah, in, and in, in how you know uh the two sides come together to like you know beautify you know the black experience in america we mm-hmm. To, to other each other too much, so yeah, that awesome. was also. It was bittersweet, you know, to see that people are collectively coming together, and then it's still a lot of divisive behavior. But yes, that's I being see. lesbian. Here we, we are here.
4: Yeah, yeah. Do, do, do. <laughs> Yeah, my I tell you, my sister was, it was you know, I, I love my sister. You know, I don't. Mm. Wherever the ignorance and delusion, you know, wherever the origin and birth of it, it wasn't that way for us or our family.
0: Yeah,
4: sure. She, she felt like she was, she was like, oh shoot, like you know, mom and daddy, especially daddy's mm-hmm. gonna be trippy about it, but they weren't. They was like, love who you love, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's cool. We love you. Love who you love. That's how uh-huh. that's how it was. And then she would, then she told me her first crush. Was the next door neighbor, Pudding? Pudding. Pudding. I'm <laughs> <laughs> being real with you. Pudding. Now, I'm looking at Pudding. I'm looking at Pudding for certain reasons. I'm looking at Pudding for certain reasons. I want to know. And she's looking at know. Pudding. She, pudding. she looking at Pudding for certain reasons. So she just shared. It was just funny for her to, you know, when she shared it. Like, no, nah, right. Chad, Chad, I'm trying to tell you. Hmm. When, next what, door? What, what I'm that? like, yeah, what? I'm what <laughs> like, look, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help you on yeah. something, son. You get it? <laughs> no. My sister was dope. I wish you could have met my sister. You would love her. She would love you.
3: Word
0: up. <laughs> yeah. Well, bless your parents for having that outlook and and they're coming out, you know, because that's definitely not a reality for so many Uh, queer people of color, our our communities are so embedded in religion and faith that it is a very hard line. Uh, Just speaking from experience, my own, I come from a very religious uh, Latino household and you know, it wasn't, it was like that with my sister, when I told my sister that I was queer, she was very much like, okay, well, I love you, just, you know, you're my brother and always will be, but for some old school Latino and and adults of color it's it's not always just as easy as that so so bless your family and your parents for having that that support for her that's really wonderful and my yeah. brother
4: was a minister my brother's a christian minister now that was a little more dice here you know mm. it was a little dice here it wasn't judgment like that but it was like it was one of the it was like uh, hate the sin, not the sinner, and you know, D. We love you, but your girlfriend can't spend the night. you type of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he even revisited this a little bit to say, you know, I think we we could have been more Christ-like in this circumstance. We might have been tabid, t- judgmental with the like, your girlfriend can't. I don't, we don't want to see you kissing your girlfriend in front. You know that kind of stuff later on, he felt like they he and his wife, you know, felt like they wanted to kind of like, you know, we could have done a better job
0: mm-hmm. as
4: far as that part was concerned. They did. And we have had conversations about that. And we lost my sister at uh, pancreatic cancer uh, mm-hmm. at, at 49 years old, uh, nine years ago. So, you know, just R.I.P. baby. We love you, love you, love you.
0: And uh, Ashley, as the as the youngest of the bunch, what was your experience Uh coming up? what what Were you surrounded, as we said, sort of uh, by folks like you, or was it a bit different for you?
3: Oh, for sure. I think it's a mixture, but growing up, Angela pointed out something, but having like the black dolls in the house. So my parents would give me the black Barbie dolls and everything, like stuffed animals, uh, just so I could see myself and then books as well. But I think what's important for me, like growing up in public schools, like they would talk about black history, but it started with slavery. And so I would go home and my mom would always ask like, well, what did you learn in school today? And I would say, oh, we talked about slavery. And then my mom would have to say, well, uh, what did you learn about that? And then, mm-hmm. but she would give me the other side, <laughs> of the perspective that we weren't taught in schools just to make sure that I had pride and being black and that it wasn't like the skewed, um, I guess, white supremacist view of our history. Um, Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel like I went to school had half of the story, came home and had like the full scope of the story. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
4: Here's where I found out like uh, racism or uh, racial bias. So I'm in the military. When I get there, I'm a video cameraman. They say, listen, you just got here. You can't go do these PSAs with these, you know, professional teams. You have to wait. You have to wait a certain time, Chad, before you can do that. Cut to a year later, blue-eyed, blonde cat comes in. My sergeant is blue-eyed, blonde, the coolest dude. I never had no issues. Then it came down to this, and he said, Chad, you know, we're going to let him go. And I was like, whoa, hold on, hold on. When I got here, you he said that that wasn't the policy. So why are you making that, uh, why is this deception happening right now? So that's what I felt for me that I'm saying I'm trying to understand this and comprehend what is the reason Dave and I said it to him and he like on oh, you know broke down crying. <laughs> I'm not that Chad I'm not that I was like, well what what do you call what's happening right now because yeah. I'm by rights I'm supposed to be going next what is it I mean are you just. You know, is this ne- some type of nepotism? You're identifying with him as your son or something? You can't, what is it that you're seeing right now that's got you making this decision? he was going hour, hour, hour for the most part, you know.
1: Hour, <laughs>
4: hour, hour. I didn't have that answer. He didn't <laughs> like me calling him out, but he didn't like that answer. And he wanted very much, he wanted very much for me to, uh, to 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 accept and receive that he he wasn't coming from that place, and how much he cared for me and all of that. But that was that was for me. That was the first time you know yeah. that I felt like wow, because I I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, the majority it was a majority white university, but I didn't I wasn't experiencing any of that because my talent and just who I was as a person. It wasn't, it wasn't happening, you know? Now I didn't stay. And my friend who stayed the four years, there were times when he said, you know, oh, I felt it, Chad, I definitely felt it, and, you know? Mm-hmm. And do you I don't think,
1: know, maybe, hmm? can I pop in. Do you think that because, um, do you think talent sometimes skews the ideas? That's exactly what I'm right? talking about. If you're you a top athlete, if you you're it. an actual, you deserve- yeah.
4: There's a, a certain feeling. type of leverage. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a certain type of leverage. But I guess and in the same breath, is <laughs> a certain type of confidence that you come with, you know? Right. So you're already in the mode, in the in an in extremely confident mode. And you just, I, I was in extremely confident mode. And I, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking uh, about race like that. I, and I'm not saying I'm not ignorant to it. Obviously, if I see it, I'm going to call you out. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But it, it just wasn't going down like that. And maybe, like you said, you know, your your talent becomes a certain leverage and people treat you different. But if I had seen that happening to Ray, I would have been on the front lines with him. And sure. so when I left and he told me when I came back to the school, I was like, yo, what's up? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing like that. No, he misperceived, mm-hmm. you know, it was like that.
0: And um, speaking of sort of um, diver- we, we did sort of talk, touch on um, that level of diversity uh, within the military and, of course, the, the the gaps exist in every industry that that is around it's not just entertainment it's in the regular workplace and corporate America it exists everywhere, so when it comes to. Um, diversity in media and in entertainment, the needle has been moving in the right direction, but i'm curious what each of you think has to happen in order for it to move faster. Because we've seen these small growths year to year, they always have these studies that break down you know, the number of lead roles that go to actors of color. Um, I don't have the numbers with me, unfortunately, uh, but it has increased little by little over a year, but it's still a severe gap of directors of color, of writers of color, executives, showrunners and all of that so i'm curious for each of you uh, what do you think has to happen in order for that next step to uh, to take place you uh, know let's start with angela first
2: yeah <clears throat> i i think that's exactly what needs to happen is behind the camera needs to change mm-hmm. you know the writers more writers more directors more producers more network um heads studio heads like it needs to change all around in order for in front of the camera to change faster. And I don't know that that change is gonna happen fast. You know what I mean? So um, I I wish that it would, (laughs) but I think in front of the camera can only change as fast as behind who's calling the shots, who's hiring the people, who's understanding that it's not just about ticking a box, that there is a real need for diverse stories to be told and to be told from a truthful place, from a knowledgeable place. You know, you can certainly write a paragraph, a page, a scene even, you know, from somebody else's point of view. But when you're talking about developing a whole series or developing a whole two hour film with sequels, you know, you can't do that if you don't, from from, a, from an outside perspective in an honest way, if you don't have the team around you to do that or if you don't have somebody who's heading the team who comes from that perspective that's just the way that it is you know
3: um I want to piggyback off of that I I think it starts at the top like people with positions of power um allowing opportunities to trickle down um and also education uh going into communities where I guess I'm not going to say that we're non-existent but like having behind the scene classes, like when we're younger, I I don't know, there was was an article that I read about how like in London, for example, not to do the comparison of like American actors versus like um, British actors, but how they kind of cultivate the arts in a way um, in communities where arts aren't really thriving. Cause it's expensive. Like if you're a music person playing like the violin or something like that costs money and in communities where they don't have access to that. I feel like for us, Going into those communities. So, we're having those dreams and people seeing themselves um, in those positions um, to eventually become those people in power, I think would be great.
0: Yeah. And
3: that's about
2: fear, right? You got to get over your fear of somebody taking your job or you won't have <clears throat> if somebody else has, or whatever, you know, the billions of fears that we all have. Like, it's about overcoming those fears to allowing for the greater good.
4: Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, <laughs> but it's good trouble. Um,
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> it's it's eradicating white ideology. Yeah, White ideology really has nothing to do with color <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. It's the thought and idea that someone is not equal to someone else, right? So on one hand, what you have going on It's people who still buy white ideology, but they want to package it a different way. And they're quick to say, I'm not like that. Like what? The truth is we are absolutely equal. Only the system that you created leveraging color is why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. So when people say like white privilege, they're talking about, I have access to the capitalist system. And you have to look in the mirror and recognize that is that really privilege? Is that privilege when you're robbing yourself of re- true and factual humanity? And you're and so, placating me is, is not, that's not cool to me because you're still dancing around with the notion that, yeah, you know, my friend said to me, you know, I'm so sorry for our white privilege. They say, no why? Because you're looking through a capitalistic lens if you look through the lens of humanity, you would say that doesn't represent me at all and it's reprehensible, right? Do you understand you follow what I'm saying? So to me, we have to get rid of this white ideology and people in power have to really be able to examine themselves truthfully. I'm equal to you, period. You just designed a system with a certain mentality that makes it skewed for me. When I walk in a room, I'm not walking in the room say, thank you, black, come in, black man, come in here. No, I'm a man. I'm a human being, straight up. The system is unjust because you still buying into white ideology. So for me, it's the eradication of that. And being truthful, honest, because it's a tricky game. Because on one hand, they, we have to go inclusion. You're saying inclusive, but inherent in that is I was excluded. But as a human being, I'm not. I'm really not, I am as you are. Only the system that you created creates this dynamic. So I still, I will walk into your room not feeling like I'm being included, like I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. So, when we, it's a, the, 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 the catch-22 is we have to create these systems. We have to counterbalance ignorance and delusion and we have to buy into <clears throat> our ethnicities to that degree to try to write something that is delusional and will never be, never be just and balanced. That's, that's where, that's what my thoughts are. Mm. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, I, I agree with everyone. Um, I think it just comes down to, uh, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. There's a lot of money floating around in in black entertainment, black sports. Uh, You know, we got billionaires all over the place, high level millionaires. Um, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think people's hearts and minds can be changed. I don't think you can walk into a place and tell the power structure to dismantle itself. I think all you can do is try to create something somewhat comparable or something with your own you know, we have, There, I think we talk a lot about white privilege. There is, there is color privilege. We have black privilege. We are fucking cool <laughs> and, we, and we put and like, we have so many interesting stories that I think, well, I know that we have to come into a room with a story that people are interested in or more palatable because this is how we've always seen black folks, but if we had the control with the, with, With how we tell a story, there are so (laughs) many interesting stories in our past, our present, and and in our future that um, we can't. I think it's. I think I know that we can't convince people to tell our stories. Um, So I think it's money. I think there. I know there's enough money floating around, and uh, we have to put things in into production. I know that you know, like there's certain producers or filmmakers that people, you know, they, they don't like their work or things like that, but at least they're putting their money where their mouth is. Like we need to, I mean, we have to, I mean, even if it's like, you know, 10% tied to the church, like we need to put 10% to the black mm-hmm. film. <laughs> like I would be willing, like if if there was something like that. So, um, you know, I like the idea of like telling people what we're worth, but, you know, at this point we're, we're, you know, if, if we got to do all of this, then we, we just need to, we need to adjust our expectations and our, and our desires in a different direction and just continue to try to create our own work because, you know, (laughs) banging down the door that's double locked, cemented, and, uh and you're not welcome, you know, or you and, and maybe you and you, you know, we, I don't know. I think we've, there's been a lot of progress, right? Um, but I think there is a wave that could happen if we realize that it's not just about breaking down that door, but creating our own house and our own doors, our own things that you know put value into our own awards. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. our own things. That so we we're not looking to just be uh, recognized, you know, mm-hmm. by those that aren't looking to recognize you. It's like vying for the attention of some woman or some man and they've told you over and over i'm not interested
4: you know and there's so many other
1: people like i'll take you on a date okay. <laughs> like you, you, I you know what you're saying like, you know so, saying. but so yeah. like i think because it's, it's a needy it's a needy way not, of being yeah you know it's not mm. collective like we're not gonna deal with y'all or anything like that it's just that if we could just hone some of our own energy um right. and Get it back out, you know. I think uh, I think that would be so. It's like even if it's like these these big time folks with all the money, like we, we're we're going to, you know, produce this show, do this. It it just has to be something uh, from the from the root up. Um, and there's no one can convince me there's not enough money in the black community to do it.
2: But I'm i I'm gonna take us back to fear on that because you know for people who have money, they trying to keep their money. And so Uh, if they're trying to base decisions on how they invest their money or what they invest their money into is still based on a white ideology, then they're like, oh, but this black person can't sell this show, they can't sell this (laughs) film overseas. And Mm -hmm. it's like, but we are, it's proven over and over again that we can, but people are so afraid to invest in each other and our own stories. And it's like, we can't start nothing because you know people talk all the time about Mm -hmm. let's do our own thing, let's do our own thing. And then as an artist, particularly an actor, when you decide, okay, I'm gonna build my own production company and I'm gonna start, you know, gathering our stories and taking our stories out and you take them to, you know, our fellow people of color who got money and who have bigger production companies and they're looking at you like, yeah, but who's mm-hmm. your who? Who's your this? Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. hey, are we looking at the bigger mm-hmm. picture? When well, no, we're not because we're too afraid.
1: Everybody's touched by the capitalist dragon, you know. Because look at what look at what the standard is. Look at what the industry standard is. You have to get somewhere, right. and you can start rejecting people. And you know what what's going to make money, or what you think is going to make money. When you know, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I can't right now, but I'm sure there are so many black films that have been made that people thought would never make any money, and it's making big time money. You know, mm-hmm. um, if it just down to that bottom line.
4: Viola Davis spoke on this. Based on the woman king. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's a prime mm-hmm. example, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly what you were saying. They said it does, she galvanized. But see, yep. this is the point I really want to make. And <laughs> I'm going back, y'all. There used to be so called white abolitionists, right? There were. There were people mm-hmm. who said, I do not buy that white ideology you're trying to sell. I'm human. They're human. And, you know, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or I'm going to help in the Underground Railroad, right? That really yeah. happened. Yeah. They weren't Abraham Lincoln. They weren't yeah. trying to leverage some deal with a, with a veil over it. They were yeah. honest humanists. And so I say today, where are those abolitionists today who looked in the mirror and said, no, no, no. They're at white ideology.
1: Oh, my God.
4: Well, no. Now, Karen and summer. i <laughs> <Karen and have laughs> summer. i <Karen and laughs> summer.
0: I'm to yeah, yeah.
4: tell you about your latte now. <laughs> you, know, you know what, you know what i but, but this is what I'm saying. As we really progress, we have to reverse engineer the ignorance and delusion. And it's not just us. No, mm. you have a responsibility and you need to feel the weight of that responsibility as a person, you're not of color, wherever you're European, you should be offended that somebody calls you white because you know what white is de- designed to. How are you gonna deal? You you understand? That's my thing. Like we have to do this together. Mm. Now, the pride and the production of things that are just people of color, don't do it. Ain't nobody tripping. That's great. Do that. But at the same time, we all know what this monster is, this ignorant deluded monster that racism is designed to, for money, power and control and the birth of white ideology. We know it, everyone knows it. So everyone has to take responsibility. The people in power have to open a curtain and have real truthful, honest, humane conversations
1: Call you need to up, Chad. And that's
4: what they're going to do. Them people in power, they're going to mute us. I'm sorry, y'all. I should have put the peg on D-1930. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, this, this is going to happen. Everybody's got to put their big human stuff on. Put it on and step up honestly and truthfully to white ideology and stop Property off it and speaking like you don't, you know, <laughs> and recognize where your humanity really is, and you gotta have to be real about that, and, and and people have to be called out on it. It's like, listen, you can't have it both ways. So I listen. My, I don't call my friends white friends because my friends do not have a white ideology. If they did, could we really be friends? <laughs> no. Right. Sure. So are we, are we going to leverage humanity together and figure out how it integrates into capitalism? Are we going to do it? Or is it, hey, guess what? Capital is king. That's
1: the problem right there is, uh, you know, in capitalism, you know, God is money. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, so to integrate into that type of system, I know that we're all tapping into the matrix to get what we can and and and, and get paid and, and have some security, but that in and of itself is the problem, right? Because, you know, you, you get further and further from, you know, the source when you're trying to, and, that, and that's the problem with the industry standard is that industry standard, standard is, you know, it, it, is, it is not of, it's just not a good thing to strive to be a capitalist.
2: You know what I mean? It's not about I, people, I, I, it's about money. You said what? Cause it's not about people, it's about money.
1: Yeah, yeah. was the yeah.
2: birth of it, right?
4: But that's the birth of white ideology, right? I'll sell a human. I'll leverage a color against you for money, power, and control. Yeah, It's a great business deal for me, you know what I'm saying? So that's, a, you. we've got to be able to, how do we reconcile the reality of this capital machine that if a person says, I can leverage anything, people skin tone, I can leverage it and get paid, and I'm getting super paid. Why would I not do it? And how do we how do we integrate humanity into this thing where people do understand, yeah, you have a responsibility. Yes, you do. With all your money and power, you have a responsibility to ensure we're not still playing by the white ideology rules. You have to show that. And it's, I'm not saying Black. I'm saying humanity, I'm saying we're all equal through the eye of the creator and we really are. So we can, we quantify measure and you can't hide. You've got to show up That wherever we've decided that you must show up and you must be transparent and you're not placating us. You're not, you know, we're not, you're not, uh, talking down to, uh, okay, I'm going to help you. You guys come on in, you come on in, come on in. I feel so bad. No, you got to meet me and we are equal. And this access is damn near birthright yours too. Come on in and and let's go from there and let's see how we're operating as equals. Because if if my friends was like that, like, Chad, you know, we love you, we get it. You know, Molly Karam said on first take the other day, I'm not Black, and I'm not a man, so I don't have anything intelligent to say. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop it. This is about humanity. If you saw somebody kicking a dog, you wouldn't go, I'm not a dog. And so I don't... No, this is about how are we going to make it, I don't know, legislate leading with humanity. How do we do that? Because that's what's going to really be required to me as long as we talk a money game you know they say don't take nothing personal in business it's business i ain't racist but it's business you see what i'm yeah. saying and then ain't much money somebody can really say it's like yeah well you know the bottom line is the bottom line no we've got to integrate a new model we have to if we're gonna get real about what equality truly looks like
0: So, but I don't want to keep you all for too long, but it's such a good conversation I didn't want to cut anything short, Um, but uh, I did want to uh, dive into some of your individual work, um, because you have all done such incredible things in your careers already so um. Aisha, you have a couple of projects uh, coming up. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been announced that they're coming out later this year or not. you know we confirmed things two years ago and we still don't right. <laughs> see them. Uh, but with a prime video, you have a Daisy Jones in the Six and then a Glamorous. So what can you tell us about each of those two projects?
1: Uh, Daisy Jones was coming out uh, in a couple of weeks really excited about that uh, it's a period piece in the 70s I play uh, a gay DJ in New York City uh, who uh, turns one of the leads into a disco queen trying to find her voice. Um, no one sees her but I see her um, for the queer woman that she is and we have this beautiful love story uh, just right in the middle we snuck it in to this show. <laughs> it's gonna be all, all this all this then black <laughs> um so that is really really exciting and just to show you know just some of the things that the sisters were going through uh back then um in regards to their sexuality and just the sexism of things um and glamorous is a cute little show that we did for netflix um it's kind of like um like a devil wears Prada, it's a makeup company we're trying to save it from going under. It's all kind of gay, whimsical things happening. <laughs> it's so very cute <laughs> and uh, and a film that's coming out. Um, like you said, when you shoot things like two years ago uh, with Taraji <laughs> and Jennifer Hudson um, and Pauletta Washington that I was involved with, that is really good. And we're, we've really been waiting for a while for that to come out and um, yeah, just, you know, it's called um, Women's Stories. Oh, Tell It Like a Woman. They changed the changed the title. Tell It Like oh, a Woman. Oh yeah,
4: I heard about right. Okay, I heard about
1: that. Compilation of shorts, uh, all female uh, directors, and uh, and it went really really well. And um, yeah, I just had to transition out of the barbershop. My back my back wouldn't allow for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I went to a barbershop for many years um, in West Hollywood, and then stepped away. Um, and you know, always kept acting adjacent um, and catching COVID the way that I did. I wasn't like on death's door, but I definitely caught it pretty bad, and kind of made me reevaluate. Like, you know what? Life is short. Let's do this one more time. Let's go for it, like full throttle. And it's been a great two years. So mm-hmm. yeah, here I am. Can yeah, used to this Amazing. Face. The girl's <laughs> yeah. out.
4: Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is a gorgeous face, which sure. Thanks. I think you have and, some Nigerian in you if you ever did your 23 me or uh, uh, African ancestry. Yeah, we are
1: we, uh, Haitian. So I'm sure I ways the West mm-hmm. Africa. So yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ghana, absolutely. you know, Ghanaian. Yeah, I see it. You're
1: getting a ping, getting a ping in your spices.
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely.
4: Congratulations.
1: Congratulations. Yeah.
0: Dude. And um, Ashley, you're joining the Star Trek universe in the latest and final season of of Star Trek Picard. I just watched the trailer. I'm like, oh my God, there she is. Um, it's coming out uh, this year on Paramount Plus, and you're joining the great, you know, Nichol Nichols and Michelle Hurd as all these fabulous Black women in the Star Trek. So Sonequa
4: Martin-Green.
3: Yep. So many people, Zoe right. always,
0: Saldana, you know, so many uh, incredible women. Um, so what was your experience working on the show with Sir Patrick Stewart and entering this this world that's existed for such a long time.
3: Yeah, um, surreal. Um, I'm also playing LeVar Burton's daughter uh, as George. So like Uh. being this iconic character's daughter and stepping into those shoes, it's, I mean, the big shoes to fill, but I'm really excited um, for everyone to see and for me to finally join the Star Trek global universe. Yeah,
0: Yeah. There's so many different shows that are all connected to all these the films moon. and all of that, it's its so incredible to see. And I'm so excited for you because we've um, we've I've interviewed actually a bunch already over the years. So it's so great to see your career continue to grow the way that it has. It's so awesome. And um, Chad, you have also done a lot in the sci fi uh, genre between the Orville and you have Superman and Lois coming up and The Walking Dead, of course. Um, so what has your experience been like working on those different projects?
4: Um amazing uh, a bunch of brilliant uh like-minded people forward thinking uh humanists who uh want to tell true stories and 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 shed light on all the amazing um level of humanity and all the representations of everybody making space for everyone mm-hmm. or everyone is is together in a space you know uh, I've I've been very fortunate to play complex characters. Uh and I, I kind of think that, you know, when you leave with something on a, a national level like an international level, like the wire, you know, uh Dennis Cuddy Wise was a truly uh multi-layered human being and and the uh producers as David Simon and, and the folks were putting it together from that perspective, you know, to really just show the full breath of a human being and and not stay stay uh, narrow in one or two dimensions so all of that has been fantastic uh i've been embraced on superman and lois Uh, i get to play bruno manheim a self-made man coming out of uh, south metropolis he's treated like say the west side of chicago nobody gave a damn and and he was able to do some really powerful things i don't want to give anything away (laughs) <laughs> and the representation and the connectivity to the social political realities that we face uh, was just incredible. And to play a dude that's filthy rich is fun too. So <laughs> I was having a great job with that. And then the other thing, right, I, I, really, I, I, I had a chance to do a Christmas prayer for TV One and be number one on the call sheet. And uh, it, it was a beautiful, like no fluff, Christmas movie with legends like Marla Gibbs and Stan Shaw and uh Dollar dollars was in the house. And that's oh, a Christmas prayer that was on, on TV one. Sh- I think you can still get it right now on demand. It's, it's a beautiful bo- a beautiful, beautiful movie. So I uh, hope people get a chance. Those of us who just don't want to sing Jingle Bells, you know, <laughs> you know, we want to be here, uh, dynamic multi-layer holiday season stories. This is one of them. And then last but not least, uh, I have something, uh, we just got accepted in South by Southwest. It's called The Angry mm-hmm. Black Girl and Her Monster. Bomani mm-hmm. J story takes this classic, you know, uh, horror film and is able to bring the social political implications to it to understand the birth of the title is how do they see us? How do they see my sister as an angry black girl? She's brilliant. She got all sorts of things going on, but people play her through a narrow lens. And then the African American male—it's a metaphor him being seen as a what? A monster. So it's a powerful movie, and uh, so and we're gonna we're gonna be playing South by Southwest right now. And so I'm I'm just you know, I'm happy to be out here telling these stories, you know, like you said, uh, uh we're able to just open your scope, you know, just 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 we, we gotta be about expansion, you know. So that that I'm I'm fortunate to to be involved in that and, and feel relevant, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. As actors, we want to do work that has some level of impact and relevance. So I'm fortunate to be doing that. Thank you.
0: Nice. And uh, Angela, you've been part of um, Snowfall from the late great uh, John Singleton since the very, Mm. very beginning. And uh, the show's final season uh, airing this month. So looking back at the character and all the work you've put in with such talented young actors and veterans, um, what has been your biggest takeaway after these six seasons?
2: My biggest takeaway—that's good. It's—it's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is an interesting moment to, you know, be talking about this. Yesterday was my uh, last day on the show, and this season, really? the series wrapped yesterday. So, wow. um, if I get emotional, that's just the place that I'm in. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> but <God>. oh, <laughs> it, um, you know, I, I never thought that I would be in a show like Snowfall. Um, you know, I come from the theater and I remember being, you know, as a black student, a black uh, uh, theater student uh, on the University of Michigan campus, we had plenty of conversations about, you know, the artists and their, do they have a responsibility to their community? And when, what is that responsibility or how big is that responsibility? And, you know, and, you know, how do you, do you choose, to tell stories that are more expansive, or do you choose to tell stories that, you know, continue to tell the same thing over and over again and show, you know, our community, the black community in the same way that we've been seen, you know, for ever. And so, you could not have told me that I would be playing A, a character who started out on drugs and be a character who, you know, became a drug dealer and then, you know, a potential queen pin and all of that gang bang, like, no, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Get out of my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when, when Snow- you know, I always say, you know, As actors, we choose to audition for things for various reasons, right? You know, it could be you like the script. It could be, oh, I have never been in this casting director's office. So let me take this script that as I feel uh, about and, you know, go in an audition. Um, But I have learned throughout the course of my career that that's one thing. And then when you, if you get a callback, you have to really consider, do I want to play this? am I available to play this? You know, if you're not available, you shouldn't go in for the callback. If you're not interested in the project, you shouldn't go in for the callback. And so when I got the callback for Louie, I said, okay, here's this woman where the audition scene is, she's fighting. She's beating some girls behind off the porch. (laughs) You know, she's strung out on Sherm. This is a world, you know, I'm from the east side of Detroit, so I know what it is but i don't know what it is you know that's my parents Mm. parents did a great job of keeping me um not sheltered but outside of that keeping me busy keeping me active in other things i wouldn't fall through the cracks so i wouldn't you know so i'd make as few mistakes as i possibly could right so i don't i didn't spend time on the streets you know, learning street things and how to survive in those kinds of ways. And, you know, this just wasn't my experience. So I didn't know how, you know, for my initial, for Louie, it was, let me see if I can beat somebody up without there being another person there. And how can we get these angles to make it look like I know how to fight? Cause I didn't and I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so getting the call back was like, whoa, okay who is this person and how am I going to play her for however long this show goes? Wow. Um, and So I did a deep dive into Louis through meditation and I discovered about the, the dive was about who is she really, how did she get to this place? And what I learned about her was that she was really heartbroken and she didn't have the opportunities that I had. She wasn't told yes the way that I was told yes. She was always told no. She was always dismissed. She was always, she didn't matter. And that really made me love her so much. And I wanted to protect her. And I felt like if I if they offer me this role and I say no, who are, who are they gonna give it to? And I don't trust that this person has done the deep dive that I've done. Maybe they might have, but maybe not. I don't trust. That they are wanting to put this character's humanity to the surface the way I think that she deserves, and that's why I said yes. And so, in the course of telling this story and stepping into Louis' shoes, I've learned to. I've learned that I can't be scared. Louis is not a person who relies on fear as a um, way of hiding. If anything, the fear propels her into the next thing or into whatever she decision she has to make. Um, and I couldn't be, you know, I remember being on the pilot, time to shoot that scene where I beat that girl up and I was like, oh, uh. I was in the corner like hyping myself up, like, come on, you can do this. They hired you. You got this. Uh, and you know, and then it was like, okay, technically, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't know much about fight choreography. I know a little bit, but what if I hit this girl? Or what if she hit me? And, do, do, do. and so much anxiety about every little thing. You know, when it was the first time I had to hold a gun, like, oh, I'm gonna look stupid. And, you know, it was just like, you I can't play Louie from a place of fear. Similarly, I can't live my life from a a place of fear. I can't have the career that I wanna have from a place of fear. So I would say of all the things that I've learned in the last seven years working on this show, both in front of the camera behind the camera politically, all the things about Hollywood and all the craziness that comes with it. The biggest thing that I've learned is I cannot operate from a place of fear.
1: You look stupid at any point on Snowfall, by the way. You're
2: fantastic. <laughs> That's just, every time I had to get the gun, I'd be like, okay, somebody come to, I'm supposed to hold this thing now. <laughs> and,
4: and, and please recognize that we need to know, did you hear what she said? She said meditation, right? So, okay. ladies and gentlemen, please put that in your bag of tricks. Oh, Trust me, meditation yeah. is huge for in, tr- in terms of the craft. That was that was just such a powerful testimony.
0: Well, thank you all so so much for taking the time to join us today. Um, Aisha, Ashley, Angela, Chad, thank you so so much. Um, on social media, if any of our listeners or viewers want to um follow you to see everything else that you're doing, where can they find you? Aisha, start us off.
1: Uh, yeah, Instagram. It's the only thing I tap into. I can't have everything else. I'd be like...
0: Yeah, stay <laughs> off Twitter. It's
1: evil. Okay. Yeah, I love um, Twitter. So, I love Twitter. <laughs> uh, on Instagram, you can find me. Um, hopefully I'll post some stuff.
0: And uh, Ashley?
3: Uh, Instagram as well, at Ashley Sharp Chestnut.
0: Angela?
2: Um, Instagram at Love Angela Lewis, L U V Angela Lewis. Um, I'm also on Twitter during this run of the show. I'll live tweet. So if you want to interact with me, that's always really fun. Uh, you can catch me on there. Same handle at Love Angela Lewis.
0: Awesome. And Chad.
4: Well, all, let's all follow each other, okay? I, I know I want to do that, you know? And don't act like man. you don't know me when you see me in person, okay? Like, y'all already coming scared. to me. See, I am gonna be all like, don't my sister go. How you doing? And be like, what y'all yeah, be, man? I don't know you. Um, I'm so Zoom with you, man. What you doing? Um, it's just, it's at Chad L. Colvin on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, TikTok.
0: Thank you all again so much and of course everyone that's listening and watching our video you can follow us at MediaVillage.com on Instagram, head over to MediaVillage.com for all of our reviews, interviews, podcasts and more. I'm Juan Iala. this is Multicultural TV Talk, thanks for joining us.